when my wife Jennifer and I were first engaged, uh, she was a senior in college and I was a rookie pastor. And in the midst of that, uh, we only got to see each other on weekends. I was so infatuated with her. I was love-struck. I was love-smitten. Every Friday, I couldn't wait to actually go and to see her. And one particular Friday, as I was getting ready uh, to leave, the thing that I realized was the entire week, we had actually uh, had tons of rain, and uh, it was a flash flood warning that was all over the place. And so they were encouraging people actually not to leave counties uh, because of how much rain. But I was young and dumb, and I wanted to see the love of my life, and so I just went ahead and started uh, heading that way. Now, uh, the car that I had when we first got married was a 1980 Buick Skylark. And uh, in the Skylark, uh, it got me through many things, so I figured it would get me through this kind of struggle as well. And so uh, we started driving the Skylark, and I'm looking forward to going to see her. Now, I was leaving Flora, Indiana, where there were many country roads to where I could actually get to the college she was at. And so in the midst of that, um, I start getting a little bit nervous because of all of the flash flood warning. And as I'm driving to one of the particular uh, kind of crossroads, there comes a sign up on the screen that says, high water, be careful. So I keep driving. I noticed that that water didn't seem too bad where I was at. So I just kept on driving until I got to the next intersection. And at that one, there was another sign that said high water. So at that point, you know, I kind of have a choice. Um, I'm at a crossroad and I can either choose to turn around and go back and try to find a different path or... I can see if I can get through the water with my Buick Skylark. Now, does anyone want to take a guess what I did? (laughs) We're going for the water. And so I go ahead, I'm in my car, and I put the pedal to the metal and just go. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking evil Knievel right over the water, you know. I'm I'm thinking Dukes of Hazard. I'm thinking Fast and the Furious. Just kind of the car will go over. And so pedal to the metal, I start going down. I get halfway into the water. It stops. It's totally stuck. And in the, de- in the floorboards, the water starts rushing in. I'm not really sure what to do, but I can't get my door open either. So I roll down the window. I crawl out into all of the water. I have to go and walk a little bit to get a farmer who came down with his tractor to pull us out. And I never saw Jennifer the entire weekend. Let me ask you, have any of you ever been told by someone to do something and you thought you knew better, 
So you didn't listen. Uh, Have you ever had someone warn you about something and you just ignored it and did your own thing? Have you ever had the experience where you felt a prompting from God that he was actually asking you to do something and it seemed so hard so you disobeyed and you did your own thing? Well, if I were to answer those three questions, my answers would be yes, yes, yes. I've done all three. I have chosen not to listen to someone and ignore them and do my own thing. I've had warnings before from people telling me to do something and I've walked the other way. God has asked me in a prompting to do something and I have disobeyed him. Now, I'm sure I'm the only one, though, right, that has ever dealt with this. So, uh, just mass confession here for a second. Uh, Anyone who would say yes to any of those, raise your hand. Those of you in rooms, wherever you're at, raise your hand as well. Okay, here in the auditorium, you're raising your hands really well. Okay, you can put your hands down now. Now, some of you, I know at home, didn't raise your hand. And some of you didn't hear or upstairs. And what do we call those people? Liars. I've been waiting for three and a half months to use that, okay? You're a liar. Well, God must have known that you and I would struggle with the whole concept of wisdom and listening to other people and actually listening to him. And so he gives us a story in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, of a guy by the name of Jonah. And uh, Jonah, I would encourage all of you to read that. But Jonah, his story comes in chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, let's stop there just for a moment, and what I want to do is I want to give you a little background. First of all, the name Jonah. Uh, the, the name Jonah actually means dove or a bringer of peace. That's what Jonah means, a peaceful person. Amate means truth. So God has called this guy Jonah to be a prophet. In other words, to speak on his behalf. And Jonah is one who's peaceful, but he has a father who is calling him to speak the words of truth. But look at how God, or look at how Jonah responds to God's call in verse 3. It says, but Jonah did what? Whatever was underlined. What's it say? On the count of three, one, two, three, he ran away from the Lord. He ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that part. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You see, folks, Jonah was a man on the run because he didn't want to obey God. He he wanted to do his own thing. He, He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And the truth is this, folks, that there is some Jonah in all of us. There's a little bit of Jonah in every single person here in the auditorium and everyone who is watching right now. And this kind of leads us 
to our first point. You can put it on your phone or if you want to write this down, you can. But kind of the first learning that we have from Jonah, and it's this. God will often ask you to do things you don't want to do. Isn't that true? God God will often ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Now, the reason we often don't want to do what God wants us to do is because we think we know best. I mean, it's the God of creation. He has everything. But we think we know better. My wife Jennifer and I, uh, BK, before kids, uh, we went to Alaska. And the reason we got to go to Alaska is because she had to go to a conference. I'm kind of what they call the tag-along husband. Uh, My wife's smart. She's beautiful. She gets to go to really cool places, and I get a tag-along, okay? And so I tagged along all the way to Alaska, and it was gorgeous. And while we're driving, we notice on the side of the road, there is this sign to exit glacier. And so we decide that we're going to climb exit glacier. Now, if the name of the glacier is called Exit, what should you do? Exit. In other words, you should not actually go. But again, we're young, we're dumb, and we go ahead and we climb up the glacier. It was great, but the trail went like this all the way up. There was no straight line. And we get to the top and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. The only problem with climbing a glacier is once you get to the top, what do you have to do? You have to go back down, right? Like now that you're up there and I got up there and I'm like, that trail doesn't make sense at all. I mean, I'm not a math major or anything, but I think I can see the distance from here to here is a straight line. It's closer. And so what I'll choose to do is not necessarily stay on the trail. I'll just kind of start running over the glacier, over the snow. Now, in June, in the summer, uh, things start to melt a little bit. And so I noticed my foot would go down a little bit and then a little bit, but I didn't think too much of it. And I just kept doing that. And Jennifer, though, you know, she always follows the rules. She stays on the trail. And I would get down there so much faster and I'd have to wait like 10 or 15 minutes. I'm like, come on, just go with me. She's like, I'm not doing that. And I said, oh, come on, look, it's easy. And so we did this all the way down to the bottom of the glacier. And I thought, you know, I don't know why they have that trail. Well, the next day, this is a sign that we saw. And basically what this says is that in June, when it starts melting, there are these sink caverns underneath. And people who walk on top of the snow can actually fall through the snow 20 to 30 feet And when you drop 20 or 30 feet into snow and it starts coming over, you suffocate to death. That was not smart. I should have never done that. Folks, there are many times that I think I know what's best. And instead of staying on the trail that God has for me, I go, no, that's not going to get me there fast enough. That's not the way that I want to go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a shortcut to do my own thing. And sometimes when you do that, 
you can place yourself in a dangerous spot. When our story of Jonah, he decides that he knows what's best and he deliberately disobeys God and he does his own thing. Now, part of me, I can't really blame him because some of you may not know, but let me tell you about the Ninevites. The Ninevites were very brutal people. In fact, the first edit or once my after the first transcript, uh, I had someone on staff edit it and they go, man, we're got, we have kids in there. You can't tell some of these things. So you can look it up for yourself. All I want to say is that often they would capture a city and then they would go in and they would violently kill them in different ways. And sometimes they would go into a city, they would uh, uh, set it on fire, and then they would close all the gates and people would actually burn alive within them. So uh, when you think about Jonah, you might want to give him a break of why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. I mean, he had a legitimate reason why it wouldn't be such a good idea. I mean, if he went, it could cause him pain, it could cause him hurt, it could cause him his life. Can anyone else relate? Has God ever asked you to do something, and you know if you did that, there would be hurt, there would be pain, There would be relationships that would be affected and a part of you would be in so much pain, it's better not to do. I mean, have you ever felt like God called you to do something very specific, but you think in your mind something like this. I know what I should do. I know what God is calling me to do. I just don't want to do it. Because what that would do to me, I don't want to do it, and so I choose to go the opposite direction. Maybe someone's wronged you, someone's hurt you, someone's pained you really, really in a horrible way, and God comes to you and says, well, forgive them. And he says, I can't forgive you, Scripture says, unless you forgive them. And you go, I don't want to. I mean, God, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve what you're asking me to do. I don't want to do it. I know that's what God wants me to do. I just don't want to do it. Maybe it's financially. Sometimes people will read scripture and they'll finally come to a passage where God calls us to give 10% of our income to him so that we can trust him for the other 90%. And sometimes people will read that and they're like, 10%? That's like a lot. I'm not going to do that. And, you know, the world will say, I don't blame you. You shouldn't do that. And there are many times they're like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't seem right in my mind. And I like my things so much that I'd rather have my stuff than to obey God. So I simply will choose not to do that. Sometimes people are like, well, I can't give 10%, so I'm not going to give anything. That's the wrong way to think, too. God can do so much more with what you have when you trust him with a little. Maybe you're dating someone and you're like, but Chris, he is so cute. I mean, he is so cute. He's so out of my league. Or you might be like, 
man, she smells amazing. Like every time around her, I don't know what heaven is going to smell like, but if it smells like her, man, it's going to be off the chain. And one night you're there and all of a sudden you see the cuteness or you, you start smelling the smell and you get this little tingly wingly and you're like, ooh, this is good. And then all of a sudden you cross a line and then you cross another line and you cross another line and... You know God's saying, honor me. Why don't you wait? Why don't you kind of save this for marriage? This isn't dating time. This is a choice you can make. And a lot of people will say, well, I know what God says, but I don't want to do it. I don't care what he says. This makes me feel so good, Chris. And it makes me so feel so good that they like me. And I'm afraid that if I'm not doing this, they might walk out of my life and things will just be different. And I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want. Folks, this is the truth. Every single one of us has some Jonah in us. If you're in Albany right now, you got some Jonah in you. If you're in Daleville, you got some Jonah in you. If you're in Yorktown, you got some Jonah in you. If you're somewhere in a different state or a different country, you have some Jonah in you. And some of you right now are thinking, oh, thank God I don't have any in me because I came to church today. No. You got some Jonah up in you and up there in the balcony as well. So God will often ask us to do things that we don't want to do. And here is the second kind of learning that we have from Jonah's story. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Isn't that true? You can always find another boat sailing in the wrong direction. Now, some of you, if you were honest, you're like, yep, I know what you're talking about. You say, hey, God, I want to obey you. I want to do what you've called me to do. And then all of a sudden, one of your buddies comes over and goes, Hey, bro, what's up? Let's go do something. Or uh, one of your girlfriends are like, Girl, we're going clubbing tonight. We're going to get all up in this. We're going, Whoa, yeah. And pretty soon what happens is you're like, Well, you know what? I'm going this way now. And they're like, no, 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 don't go that way. Let's go back to the old ways. You remember? Yep, yep, you remember the old ways. Let's go back to that old way of life. And watch how it happens here with Jonah. God says, I want you to go to preach to the Ninevites. And verse 3 says this, but Jonah did what? What did he do again? He ran away from the Lord. Then he headed for Tarshish. Then he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that part. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Now, why did Jonah sail for Tarshish? We said it twice already. What was he doing? running away from the Lord. He ran away from the Lord. So basically, God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, which ironically is 500 miles from his house. And Jonah says, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I want to go to Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. 
So it's five times further away than what God was asking him to do. You know, I have a feeling that some of you probably can relate to this. Sometimes we're so convicted, but we don't take action and we just choose to go in the opposite direction. You may be sitting there next to someone right now, or if you're in a room with family or friends, you might be sitting to some people and you're like, they have it all together. And right now you might be looking at someone in front of you or from the balcony looking down. They have it all together. And in your mind, you're like, that's what they think. I have it all together. But in your heart, you know that you've been running. And you're a long, long way from God. And the word of the Lord has come to you and has said, here, this is what I want you to do. And you've just simply ignored it and run the other way. Others of you may not deliberately be running away. You're not like, you know, just over the top disobeying. You're what I call drifters. Just kind of drift a little bit. Drift a little more. Uh, That's one of my biggest concerns in this quarantine is that there are many people that have quarantined themselves from God. And they've drifted away what they used to do back in January. You know, when you made that New Year's resolution and I'm going to grow closer to God and I'm going to do this. And now you've just drifted kind of away. And in the midst of all of that, you're further away. You see, folks, you need to understand this. You can run for a while, but you can't run forever. You can drift for a while, but eventually the current is going to take you into a very different direction. So whether you're running or whether you're drifting, all you have to do is turn around. It's only one turn that you have to take to be able to go back into the direction that God's calling you to. And this is the good news. This is the good news for every single person. Every person. The good news is, is that if you turn around and you come back, God says, I will open up my arms and I'll receive you as is. But this is the thing. On a message like this, sometimes people will be like, well, I'm not running. I'm not drifting. And then the reality is just by you saying that you're kind of running and drifting. And... If you keep on running and you keep on doing the wrong thing, it kind of leads us to our third learning on Jonah, and it's this. God may send a storm to grab your attention. God may actually send a storm to grab our attention. Verse 4 says this. Then the Lord did what? What did he do? What's it say? He sent a great wind on the sea. That's what God did. He sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, this is what you need to know. This ship has sailors on it. They've been trained. They've been Navy men, you know, for a long time. They've been on tons of different storms before. And this was a strong ship. This was a powerful ship. 
But if you've ever been on a ship before and the wind starts coming really badly and there's a violent storm that comes, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm up and I'm down and I'm up and I'm down and I'm not feeling so good. And all of a sudden you hear these booms and crashes all around you and the sailors call out and they're like, help, help, what's going on here? We've never seen a storm like this. And in the midst of this horrendous storm, they begin to start wondering, whose fault is it? Whose fault is this? What's going on? And so they get together and they actually put some straws out and they draw straws, kind of a little lottery thing. And the smallest straw falls on this guy that's over there and they're like, it's your fault. And who was it? Jonah. And they said, what have you done? What are you doing? What, what did you bring on to us? And then in verse 8, Jonah answers them and he says, I am a Hebrew and I what? What's he say he does? He worships the Lord, the God of heaven. He says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them so much so that they said this, what in the world have you done? Because they knew he was running away from God. You see, folks, when you're running away from God, sometimes he does whatever he can to grab your attention. And Jonah finally recognizes this, and he's like, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. And then all of a sudden, he had this kind of come to his mind. He thought, but my disobedience is not just affecting me, but it's affecting everybody around me. See, this is one of the kind of human lies that you and I try to convince ourselves. My private rebellion only affects me. If I rebel, but it's just my own, it doesn't affect anyone else. It just affects me. And folks, it's just a lie. Every time you choose to rebel, it affects the people around you. And some of you might say, well, my rebellion hasn't affected anyone yet. Well, just give it time. Eventually it will. So once Jonah realizes this, he looks and or it, it says this in verse 12. He's like, OK, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's me. Just throw me over into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But all the sailors are like, man, he, he worships God. He, he knows God. We don't want to do that. And so they're like, no, no, we want to give you mercy, Jonah. So they start taking all the cargo that's on the ship and they throw it off. And they're thinking maybe we'll get the balance of the ship to where it won't be so bad. But the storm is so violent and it's so difficult that it doesn't work. And finally... The sailors are like, if we don't throw him over, that's our only chance. We're going to die. So they grab him by the arms and the legs. And they're like, heave, ho, heave, ho, heave. And Jonah starts falling off the edge. And they're like, but that was God's man. So they're like, we're sorry, Jonah, we're sorry. God 
forgive us, please forgive us, what have we done? And then something unbelievably bad happens that no human being would want to happen to them. And what even becomes worse, Jonah's like falling, going, ah! And he's thinking, well, at least I'll drown and I'll die. But he doesn't. He gets swallowed by a gigantic fish that he's inside for three days and three nights. Now, if you were raised in church, you might say, oh, it was a whale. It wasn't a whale, folks. It was bigger than a whale. It just says it was a gigantic fish, like the biggest fish. And all of a sudden now he's like inside this. Now I'm going to probably lose my man card here for a little bit. But when I go fishing with my family and you've got to take the bush off the hook, I don't like doing it. It's slimy. It's gross. The only reason I take it off the hook is because I want to look manly in front of the three women in my life. But if it were up to me, I'd let somebody else do it or cut the line every time. It's gross. It's nasty. Now, I was thinking about it this week. Think about it. Jonah's inside this nasty, smelly thing. And he's like, he doesn't know how to talk well. Remember in Nemo, Dory? Will you let me out? I'm God's servant. Like, I don't know what he was doing. We'll talk about his prayer next week. And then the unbelievable kind of takes place. And it's kind of our last lesson on the story of Jonah. And it's this. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Starting in verse 15, it says this in the story. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And then verse 17, check this out, check this out. In the kind of underlined bolded area, But the Lord, what? What did he do? He provided what? A great fish. He provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Think about that. The Lord actually provided the fish. What Jonah thought was the worst possible scenario... God stepped in and he provided an answer. You know, some of you right now might be experiencing one of your worst nightmares. Some people have gone through the process of contracting COVID and then being in the hospital. I prayed with different people. Worst nightmare. Others of you, people of color, you've gone through some some difficult things over your entire life. And just recently, have we been talking about the importance of racial reconciliation and some of the nightmares that you think you've experienced? Some of you right now, because of COVID, are experiencing financial crisis. You're going through some really difficult times. And you may be thinking to yourself, it's over. I'm going to have to file bankruptcy and everything's over. And yet, God may just be saying, okay, now I've got your attention. 
Others of you may be in a relationship right now and you need to say some tough words or there's some strain. It might be with your parents. It might be with your spouse. It might be with your kids. But something's difficult going on and God is saying, okay, that's all messed up in your world. Okay, now God says, I have your attention. Now listen closely because often in stories like this, people will leave and they get confused. So let me be very clear on this. What I am not saying, what I'm not saying is that the bad things that happen in your life, that God caused them. I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes what God does is he steps back and he allows whatever thing to happen in your life so that he gets your attention To follow him because he's always good and he does good or he chooses to say sometimes when you make choices or bad things happen because of the sin of the world. I choose to allow that so that your attention might be drawn toward me rather than your problems or to you solving it yourself. So he'll do whatever to get your attention. Let me give you an example Uh, A good friend of mine uh, was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian high school, uh, had gone to a Christian college. He knew all the stuff about being a follower of Jesus. And then all of a sudden there was a time in his life where he finally kind of drifted away from God and he started drinking alcohol all the time. And uh, Jib uh, was a person who... um, On the outside, you would look at Jib and you'd say, man, he's got it all together. I mean, he's making six figures. He has a beautiful wife who's an ER doctor and they have two great kids. And what nobody knew, though, was how addicted he was to alcohol. And finally, I got a phone call from his wife and said he's in the hospital and they're telling us that he has a 50-50 chance to live because he has severe necrotizing pancreatitis. And so we went up there, his pancreas is shutting down, things are not going well, and me and another leader in the church, we prayed for him, we asked for God's healing, and he confessed to us exactly what he had chosen to ignore and to live for rather than following God, and he was a full-blown alcoholic. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and God gave him more time, and he was able to get beyond that alcohol, he, he gave it up. But the problem is with pancreatitis, it's so painful that eventually what they did was the pain was so great, they gave him pain medication and he simply went from alcohol to being addicted to drugs. This prescription drug started ruling his life to a point where his life was out of control. It was spinning out of control. They went to rehab. Then he relapsed several different times. He threatened to even commit suicide. Because of his addiction, he lost all of his kind of wealth. They had to file bankruptcy. And eventually his wife, Kendall, said, I can't do it anymore. You're out of control. You're impacting our kids. And she ended the marriage. And I'll never forget when my friend called me and said, the marriage is over, Chris. She wants nothing more to do with me. 
And it was at that time that he finally got to a point where God got his attention. A storm like he couldn't imagine, a nightmare that he wouldn't have wished on his worst night or on his worst enemy. And in the midst of this nightmare, he said, I want to get sober. More than anything else, I'll get sober. And, you know, they tell you go to 30 meetings in 30 days if you want to get sober. He went to like over 90. He, he, he stopped going to work. He wanted his sobriety more than anything else. And he started getting sober. And he took different drug tests to try to let his ex-wife know, I'm, I'm serious, I'm about this. Not just for you, but I want to honor God and I want to be clean. And three and a half years later, think about that. I'm drunk. My life is a mess. I have nothing. I'm addicted to all kinds of drugs. My life is a nightmare. And three and a half years later, all of a sudden his, his wife started trusting him along the way. And then Jib and Kendall, I got to go to it. They got remarried. And everyone was celebrating because I thought this nightmare will never turn around. And yet God turned it all around and they've been married for eight years. And January 15th might not mean anything to you. But to me, it means a lot because every January 15th, I call my friend and I go, you got another year of sobriety. And he's been clean for 11 years. And the amazing thing is. Is that what he thought was the worst nightmare. That he caused part of it himself. God took that and turned it all around. And became the greatest restoration, resurrection story of a family I've ever had in over 20 years of being a pastor. Now, this is what I know about stories like this. Some of you are like, oh man, I'm, I'm so moved by that. Right now, I'm just so moved by what you're saying, Chris. But the truth is, I'm not an alcoholic and I don't have drug issues. And, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about runners. And if you're running away from something that God has directly for you, then you have a choice. You can keep running or you can choose to turn back to God. If you're a drifter, you can keep drifting or you can make the commitment today to drift back into the relationship of the one who knows you best and loves you most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every single person in this auditorium and everyone who is watching us right now on the stream. I know some people, God, are running. Some people have drifted from you. They've quarantined themselves even from you. And no matter who you are, God welcomes you back if you will turn to him. You know, for some of you, today might be the day where you're like, you know what, I have been. I've been drifting. I've been kind of that. Today's the day I want to accept Christ into my life. I need him in my life. 
And if that's you right now, if you've been running, if you've been drifting, and you're like, my life is a mess, everything is a mess, I'm in a nightmare, or maybe you're like, you know what, my life's not a nightmare, but it just feels like I'm going through the motions because I keep letting the current take me wherever, and I'm making choices that aren't that. Every time there looks like there's a boat that goes a different direction, I go ahead and I take it. Every single time God tells me to do something, it seems like I go the opposite way. And now I'm in the midst of a storm right now. I'm in the midst of a nightmare and I need you, God, in my life. And if that's you right now, if you're at a point where you're like, I'm done running, or if you're at a point, I'm, st- I'm done drifting back, I want to come to you. I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And it's not a prayer that you have to pray by yourself, but it's a prayer that we pray all together in unity as one. And I invite you to simply repeat after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. No more running. No more drifting. I surrender to you. I give my life to you. Be the Lord of my life. Because you died for me, I choose to live for you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, I just want you to know that if you said that prayer for the first time today, all of heaven is celebrating with you. And here in the auditorium, if you said that prayer for the first time, let's just give every person a hand who said that prayer for the first time. At the end of our celebration here, uh, if you just go down the aisles to the left, there's a little prayer area. And one of our prayer team, if you said that prayer, they'd love to pray with you. They have a free gift for you. If you need prayer for anything, uh, they would pray for you. Uh, online, uh, if you would, just go ahead and tap the raise hand button. Uh, people would love to be able to kind of uh, pray with you and encourage you in your walk. If you need prayer for anything, uh, let one of our hosts know. They would love to pray with you. If any of you would like prayer for anything, again, just through the door and to the left. And uh, right there, there'll be someone to pray. Uh, if you would like to continue to uh, give, please do so. Uh, if you brought your offering today, when you walk out, uh, there's just a little box. You can put it in there or your Connect card if you want to so that we can stay uh, connected with each one of you. Um, I want you guys to know how head over heels God is in love with you. Uh, right now, uh, our greeters, if you'll just stay seated, they'll come and escort you out, kind of like a wedding, okay? So uh, you can kind of walk by, think you're big and bad, but they'll do that. When you get out, uh, if you would, just kind of wait until you get in the parking lot, then connect, talk with people, social distance. But please know that no matter how far you run or no matter how much you drift, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. So have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Here's my air hug to everyone on the stream, everyone up in the balcony, everyone down here. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.